John Barkley comes up to receive the trophy. This, for the Scarlet's fans, is simply great to watch. They were outplayed in the first half by a Tudor side that picked and win. The 1872 Cup back in Edinburgh hands. They've beaten Glasgow. The first team in 17 attempts to come to Dublin and get a win. How good is that for you? Oh, it's great. All I'm getting at the moment are players shouting, knock on, offside, tackle out the ball. We're in the wrong sport for that. The Zebo special gets it wide to Earls. And Earls from here means only one thing. The best stadium I've ever played in, the best atmosphere, the, the best supporters. Hopefully one day I'll be back. should of course apologise to any Munster fans listening. Uh, they'll have something to say about whether Leinster are going to be in the final as the Scarlets come again. Oh, brilliant offload. It's Brady with a stroll in under the sticks. Oh, look, it's, it's been a roller coaster um, here all my life. 47-10. Jeez, I thought I was in dreamland when we won the Pro 12. Phenomenal, phenomenal. of the World Cup upright and early why am I upright and early when I don't need to be because Dan is in Japan we're going to be talking to Dan now about his wild and wonderful experiences in the land of the rising sun and maybe about a bit of rugby as well Dan how are you doing what's it like in Japan it's good it's good it's uh we're currently sitting here it's half past three in the afternoon it's a uh, very Irish weather here in Tokyo it's about 18 degrees and misty so uh it could go well for the Irish boys yeah, well, I mean, it, it's sometimes anything degrees are misty in New Zealand as well, isn't it? Uh, true, I was, true. I was talking, I was listening, Gavin Hansen started the mind games, no, sorry, not Gavin Hansen, Steve Hansen started the mind games with uh, the saying that, well, they'd rather play Ireland than play Japan based on form. Now, obviously, that's meant as a bar, but it has been sort of commented on, especially post-Japan-Ireland game, that, you know, if you ask Joe Schmidt, who would he rather play? He probably, between uh, Japan or New Zealand, he'd probably, Probably say New Zealand because he knows how to beat New Zealand, and by all <laughs> he's a better else, recent record against them to too. Yes, yes, uh, recent yeah. record. Yeah, um, and he doesn't know how to beat Japan. So, how, what was the atmosphere like at the game? And it was a great. It was it was a great moment for the tournament. Great moment for rugby. It's just bitter to be on the other side of it, I suppose. I mean, it, it was probably one of the best results. Well, I'm not saying not definitely not saying one of the best results. One of the best games to be at uh, through the pool stages. So uh, the atmosphere yeah, was fantastic. Yeah, I was saying that to you at the time. You were so angry, but I was saying at the time yeah. you look back and just say, oh, I was there. <laughs> it, it wasn't the time to tell me that. <laughs> um, but no, in fairness to the Japanese, they're, uh, they're great at bringing enthusiasm to any games to go to. They've been at most of them, but obviously whenever Japan are playing, so the stadium is 70 plus percent red. Um, so it's it's very good. Like they, they do really know how to bring it when it comes to that sort of stuff. Yeah, and I... Suppose everybody is kind of looking for excuses. Um, the pub chat is that, oh, well, the Japanese backs are so small that with this, with all of these new restrictions over tackling what's high and what's low. Uh, yeah, hot what topic of the tournament so far, now. Yeah, no, that has been. But I suppose just to look specifically at Japan, like with the Japanese, yeah. uh, what is the key? I think you were saying that actually when you walk, go around Japan, you see that there's a bit more rugby going on than you might think. Yeah, so it's, it's surprising. Um, Weirdly, I was talking to this one Japanese guy, and he says uh, that like rugby is uh, very popular with business people, uh, and it is definitely uh, with a certain class of people in, in Japan. It is a uh, it's definitely one of the more popular sports. But then that also means that there are a lot of pitches around Japan. But the surprising thing that will strike you is that they're not grass pitches. They're kind of uh, a mud gravel type pitch, which means they don't like hitting the ground. So the first thing that they do once they make contact 
is look, how can I get this ball off to someone else? So they're not a fan of rocks. Ah, and that perhaps explains this twisty, turny thing they do when they're tackled. Ah, exactly. okay, they try to avoid hitting the ground. Yeah. Ah, yeah. okay. Yeah. And for a second there, I thought you were accidentally in North Korea. For a second there, I thought you were going around Japan, and there were all these rugby pitches everywhere, and they were basically <laughs> selling to you, the foreigner. Oh, yeah, we, we like rugby. We always say like, oh rugby. God, yeah, really yeah. Do like rugby. <laughs> well, I don't know how many of those pitches were put in in the last four years since they beat South Africa. So, uh, yeah, let's just say it's always been a thing. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah, no, so it, it's a lot more played than you'd expect over here. And they've been getting on quite well with Irish fans. Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, from I attended all the pool games uh, for Ireland. So at every single one of the games, there were Japanese there. So uh, I was actually sitting beside some Japanese for the Ireland-Scotland game. And then uh, we're sitting beside some more in the Ireland-Samoa game. And um, yeah, there was definitely a good presence at the Ireland-Russia game as well. So, uh, no, it, it's okay. been a very well-attended uh, World Cup. Wild so they're, they're taking... They're taking us to our hearts. I think every kind of podcast from every country is probably saying the same thing. Like, there's a guy, there's a well, guy apparently, saying, oh my God, they're taking the Welsh fans to their hearts. I'm sure they are. <laughs> apparently, the Irish jersey was the second most bought uh, rugby jersey yeah. in Japan. Yeah, but I'm sure if you looked at that, there's something about the colour green. The Japanese probably like the colour green, you know? There's, this probably means something in Shinty. I mean, but, you know, yeah, let's believe yeah, yeah. it. Let's believe it for the time being. One of the interesting things in terms of media, I want to sort of give the Irish perspective. In terms of media, uh, a lot of focus on the Japanese coach saying that Ireland had spent seven days uh, look, planning how to beat Japan, and they'd spent a year uh, figuring out how to beat Ireland. Now, two things about that, and he kept saying that every interview, so it just became this mantra. A little insulting, but on one side of it, it turned out to be kind of true. Like, it turned out yeah. true that Joe Schmidt lied to us. He went on TV and said, oh, every game of the World Cup is important. Uh, we're uh, taking them all seriously. Japan are a strong opponent. But, you know, if that, that's yeah. the case, if you think they're a tier one nation, why aren't you playing Johnny Sexton? Why isn't Johnny Sexton even on the bench? Because that's what causes us <laughs> the game. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah no, true, true. Well, the other thing as well is immediately um, people said, well, hold on, if you spend a year thinking about how to beat uh, Ireland, we hope you spend a bit of time thinking about how to beat Scotland yeah. and, as well. well it, it, it turns out that they did. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, definitely. And now I suppose we're on to the next game, this South Africa game. So do we yeah. want to talk about that briefly? So, Obviously, yeah. I, I think coming into this quarterfinal now against South Africa, uh, it would be very easy if uh, Japan had just beaten Ireland. It would be very easy to say, oh, it's a flash in the pan. Japan can kind of get somewhat written off uh, and South Africa would walk this. But the fact that uh, when in the final pool game stage uh, game for Japan, they managed to go out and have a very strong performance against Scotland. And although Scotland had a bit of resurgence in the second half, they definitely came out and had a had a, a proper... They, they put a stake in the ground and said, no, we are actually... We're going to compete with the top-tier nations uh, for Japan. And, and South Africa also know from four years ago that they don't they don't quit. I mean, they're fighting, they're oh, fighting yeah. at the very end four years ago. And, exactly. you know, South Africa... Could, could run the risk of over-managing the game because obviously they, they have their eyes on winning but you know, they have to actually die on their feet against Japan. They're perhaps not prepared to do that and that's maybe yeah. Japan's greatest chance. And I think one of the interesting things when looking at how South Africa have played this whole World Cup, it's um, whenever they've taken the foot off the gas, they've found it kind of hard to put it back on again. Because, um, yes, I've noticed that. Yeah. Especially in the South Africa-Namibia game, 
Um, obviously, the initial kind of surge of tries that uh, South Africa scored, they were keeping up with the scoreboard. Sorry, the, the scoreboard was keeping up with the clock up until, I think, the 42nd minute. And then all of a sudden, they kind of just eased off a bit. And, I mean, it's Namibia. Yeah, you can probably do that. But still, uh, that's not the kind of clinicalness that you want to have if you're a really top, top tier nation. Uh, the likes of um, New Zealand, when they played Namibia, they had uh, Paranara had that fantastic try at the end of the game. They're still scoring tries. But, um, yeah, and it, I, I think Slavka's scoring prowess yeah. can be a bit difficult. Yeah, and to go back to because I mean this is kind of like the awkwardness of it. This uh, the fear that games like this, these quarterfinals we're going into, could be decided based on yellow and red cards. I mean, this is everyone's yes. fear, and more and more as more money gets pumped in, uh, comes through, and popularity goes up, it becomes a bigger and bigger problem. You have a, like in a game like that, if uh, a well, especially if a Japanese player gets a red card, that's it. The quarterfinals over, and yeah. if that happens yeah. in. In the first five minutes, and the ref will him and haw and be like, "Oh my god, I can't believe I have to do this." But these are the rules, and, yeah. and gives the red card. That's it; it's over. So, I so there's two issues there. One is like we saw at the start of the tournament. So the big issue was the pick and roll intercept against uh, Argentina. So in the France Argentina game, he was clearly offside. Uh, the PMO didn't spot it. The linesman didn't spot it. The ref didn't yeah. spot it. France scored a try that ended Argentina's campaign. Argentina State were taking that campaign very seriously. Last podcast, yeah. you were saying you uh, fancied Argentina, but that was I really so, did. Then World Rugby yeah. apologised. They yeah. immediately apologised afterwards and said we got that wrong. So we have this problem now that uh, around officiating, everyone's eyes on it. Michael Check is losing his mind, but he's losing yeah. his mind anyway. So what do we do, Dan? Tell us from Japan. What do we do? Well, I, I should have prepped you before asking that question. Sort it all out right now, Dan. <laughs> well, no, I, I think what the one key thing that needs to be decided is uh, obviously the high tackling has been a major, major issue. I mean, if you look at the England-Argentina game, uh, Lavanini, uh, obviously, red card around 20 minutes in, that kind of ed- ended the game. And, I mean, in fairness, yes, it was, it was a blatant red card. Uh, it was against Owen Farrell. I think he doesn't like his own medicine. Uh, but it was it was... It did really kill cool game, and in fairness, you need to have more competitiveness. But I think there's consistency within the calls that needs to be outlined, and that needs to be that, that throughout the whole tournament. Well, I think if you look at the Arnold Samoa game, well, yeah, you could just say though there that can, uh, like you can go in two directions with this, and one that isn't gone with enough because people think it's a bit mad is just abandon the idea of red cards completely. Like um, it's a it's a sport relatively in its infancy. So if you get a country like Japan, for example, really excited about it, let's say they do get to the semi-finals, and what I laid out there does happen in the next first five minutes, they get a uh, red card and they lose to France. We'll talk about that quarter in a second. Uh, that's it for rugby in Japan. Like that's yeah. basically turning around and saying, well, actually, this is such an arbitrary sport that really. Uh, it, it's a it's sufferance to, to follow it. So if you just get rid of the idea of the red card, I know some like I mean in Ireland we've got the black card. So you just send a player exactly. off; he has to be replaced. Yeah. It screws and, uh, over your team. Screws you over. It screws over the strategy of the team as well. Like inevitably with rugby yes, nowadays, the entire bench is getting used anyway. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, yeah no, to, to stop that happening of just being absolutely destroying the game, especially in a World Cup where. At the moment, the calls are somewhat arbitrary, as you were saying. Um, 
yeah, I mean, I, I think there is yeah, something... Yeah, but there's all sorts of ways you can do it. You just you penalise penalize teams by taking points away. I mean, I know people would think that's abhorrent. Mm, and think, oh, yeah. that's a crazy, crazy point. But if you start... If your starting point is quite simply that you, there will never be a red card, you just need to work, work it out then. Uh, how exactly do you go about it? Now, people are going, oh, it's all about player safety. You need to put a, a cork in that because it may all be about player safety, but it's still the same game that everybody's paying to go and see. So you need to yeah. make that work within the bounds of player safety. True. Uh, or I, I think sport doesn't work. Before the World Cup started, there was also World Rugby came out and they kind of said, we're putting extra emphasis on these tackles and I think that kind of put a lot of pressure on the referees that they had to be as strict as they are being in relation to those kind of challenges but I think when you're coming into a World Cup there needs to be a consistency from previous seasons players need to know how they're going to be punished or how the, how the bar is being set so to say that there's an extra emphasis is all of a sudden changing the goalposts a little bit when you're coming into the most important rugby competition there is Yes, and I think this kind of emphasis on the word mitigation and everything is mitigated, yeah. like that's almost that's that's infusing rugby with this kind of legal terminology. In law, you have this idea of the man on the Clapham omnibus. I am going kind of a bit in the madman there, but the idea <laughs> is you try to establish what a reasonable man would do in a situation, and you can't. Yeah. You try and come up with kind of weird rules of how you do it, but you can't. There's always going to be that arbitrariness in it, and you can't let that arbitrariness, that arbitrary nature of it destroy the game or destroy the tournament now can I just also say Michael Checker doesn't help I mean yeah. <laughs> he had Hooper, Hooper had a point there he was saying that a guy was trying to fend off This is there, there was no yellow cards it was just a penalty this is when Australia uh, who were Australia it was against Wales maybe it was Australia uh, or oh, sorry, it was Australia Wales yeah, yeah it was Dan Bigger I think that's off the forearm to the face Oh, it was against, no, it was against Tatchell, was it? But anyway, the, they, they, uh, and Hooper was asking the ref, well, what do you do? He was coming in, uh, he was coming in low, uh, I needed, so he was coming in high, so I needed to defend yeah. him off, and then the penalty was given, because the referee didn't know what to do in that situation. But sorry, check it doesn't help, because then, in, in these post-match interviews, he goes in these mad ones, he was saying, oh, yeah. it's all there. We're always up against it, and they're all the ref. Uh, the ref, uh, where he's always refing against us in the scrum, so he's changing kind of the argument there. He's kind of saying that yeah. the refs are always out to get Australia rather than focusing on the one point, which is let's have a bit of clarity around the stack, which is destroying the game. I'm, yeah. I'm ranting now, especially around the tackling, there needs to be protection of both the tacklee and the tackler because, in certain, uh, certain occasions. It, it does lead to that. I think that is one particular call where the tackler was actually somewhat protected, but it was it was terrible tackle form. So in the same way that um, the way a tackle Lee is like a way a player is getting tackled, he needs to be protected. But that's normally done by saying, "Oh, you can't tackle high" or whatever. But in terms of what mm. uh, I think, if it was Patrick or bigger in that Wales game, um, whoever was doing a tackle, they they need to be told, "No, that's awful tackle form." And you need to tackle better to protect yourself. So in, in that sort of yes. sense, it does need to go both ways. That there does need to be punishment for bad tackle form, whether it's against the tackler or the tackling. Yeah, and all these rules are always in a constant state of evolution. And I suppose the thing about yeah. rugby is people are always arguing all the way. So exactly. these people are never happy. But you move on, there's always a new theme. And I suppose some people get too angry and don't realise it's kind of organic like that. Um, talking about anger, uh, yeah. organisation disasters like the oh. England France game so okay the, I'm talking about these quarter 
The England-France game, like, the England-France game was supposed to be the big game for, for England, apart from Argentina, uh, and yeah. it's abandoned. Um, like, yeah. you can't, yeah. there's no other word for that than, well, two words, an utter disaster. This is, uh, <laughs> so, the contingency plan was that they would move the uh, game from 20 kilometres down the road for Typhoon here. Now, I'm no meteorological expert, but I imagine... The rage is, a little bigger. is quite large. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah, and we, yeah. you can talk to us now about what it was like to survive that typhoon. Uh, Dan. <laughs> well, what I wanted to say is that wherever you were, wherever you were, yeah. was relatively safe. Why a, don't you go and play there on a, one of these school pitches, almost like you're talking about? And people exactly. say, "Oh no, you can't, you can't." Well, no, the, just like the you red can. card situation. Yeah, exactly. Your point that you can't cross is not playing the game. So everything else is acceptable. If people have yeah. to suffer. They're all going to suffer together. If you're playing on kind of hard pitches, well, France are playing on a hard pitch as well. What you can't have is a situation now where England go into a quarter final against Australia, having not played their big game, have had two weeks off. I heard someone, yeah. Clive Woodward or someone, was saying, oh, well, actually, this might not work for England because apparently Eddie Jones has said they can have a few beers, like for this two weeks off. So, you know, it might actually ah. work out well for Australia if they go mad and go dwarf tossing or what have you. But anyway, <laughs> you were there for this. You were there uh, for this when this typhoon hit. So yeah. What was it like? so, How far away from so, where you? I, I I arrived back in Tokyo uh, two days after the typhoon hit, and everything is fine. So in terms of uh, Tokyo, uh, I think it, it was the the major kind of metropolitan area is relatively unaffected, but it's more like so when the Canada and Namibia game got called off, I think that was in a, a somewhat rural uh, area, and that was quite badly affected. But I think. It was mainly that there were fears around the transport to and from the game. But I think, I don't think anyone would have minded if the game had gone ahead, people would have funded tickets, uh, but the game was played behind closed doors, and then video footage was uh, projected. Because I think the importance of the game being played, I think, was appreciated by everyone. So the fact that yeah, World War okay. contingency yeah. plan was just saying, oh no, we won't play it, I think everyone was annoyed by that fact. And of all the countries were to happen to, like, I mean, this just gave the opportunity to have moany English people. Oh, my God, I took so much off time for traveling, uh, and the, oh, the game's cancelled. Oh, which is fine, which is fair enough. But, you know, it's a bit like when also, stranded when they go traveling on holidays, you know. These people, they're just moaning, moaning, moaning all the time. Speaking of which, it, actually, your not... news had Irish fans moaning because they had the wrong quarterfinal tickets. They thought <laughs> There's a meet. You're in Tokyo. Apparently, there's a meet-up tomorrow where 7,000 Irish fans are meeting 30 guys with tickets 30 Japanese people with tickets yeah so there you go <laughs> <laughs> oh it's an absolute disaster uh yeah I mean I think that was the cockiness of 2018 kind of flooding over into that, this world cup uh people had bought them back then and just assumed that uh that was going to be the way it was going to go but uh I mean yeah I, I, this, yeah and this Australia England game now yeah. Obviously, just when you follow, if you look at the uh, English, like, oh, okay, they've got this six-game winning streak against uh, Australia. They've got Eddie Jones chuckling in this really weird way. He does it, annoys the hell out of everyone. So, <laughs> a bit of an opponent is Ford and Farrell, yeah. 10 and 12. Uh, Mario yeah. Toje is strutting around the place feeling great. So, let's not talk about England. England thinks they're great. No. But I came across, what's interesting about Australia is that uh, Australia kick less than any of the top-tier nations. This is all coming to light now oh. in the World Cup. And they, and they carry more. As a consequence, they carry more. As yeah. a consequence, more, they, they cough up possession more. Because just by the laws of statistics, if you're carrying more, you cough up more. So they kind yeah. of, they claim to play with this kind of comic style, never kick the 
football way. And Michael Checker says, well, that's the Australian way, and that's what the fans love. Interestingly now, obviously this is going to segue into something else, Curtly Beale was writing in The Telegraph. So Curtly Beale was giving his predictions. So three things. Well, one thing, which is a bit sideways, but kind of funny, is apparently the Australian side all keep diaries, personal diaries, okay. uh, of what they're feeling is built up to the World Cup. But not only that, they leave them around. So you, as a, like David Pocock, can pick up Curtly Beale's diary and read his feelings <laughs> in the course of the week. <laughs> days. Like, can we just say and Pocock then, is definitely the one who instituted this? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and I'd say, I'd say David Pocock <laughs> doesn't keep a diary because diaries are on paper and paper comes from trees. Yeah. <laughs> you always have personal connections. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'd imagine Michael Cech's is just full of just <laughs> 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 everywhere. But uh, what else was he saying? Yeah, no, in terms of his, like this, interestingly, he was saying, so the English are going to push us into our own half so we need to be very wise or kicking he's a kick out of our own half which obviously is completely on a different page to what Czech is saying <laughs> Czech is saying uh, no we never kick we never knew yeah, 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 yeah. so that's kind of interesting uh, but and then he also said uh, the, the Clyde Woodward were saying that, that he feared their set piece um, he thought that they could actually uh, on form they could beat England in the line out and the scrum and actually he fancied Australia his chances. Now the problem is, he was claiming that this mixed match that Czech is doing, where he hasn't settled on any kind of team, a team, yeah. uh, is, a, is a tactic, and that he's ready to go, and he's going to destroy England in the quarterfinal. So, um, well, well, one I, thing I, that I would say will be interesting is, um, considering Eddie Jones's, uh, his rook tactic of only sending in one guy or minimal guys into any particular rook, considering you have the likes of Pocock and Hooper there, that's going to be a very dangerous tactic to employ. So I'd yes. say beyond even just the, the set pieces, I'd say in open play, as long as, the, as long as the tackling is good by Australia, I'd say Pocock and Hooper could be set to have a fantastic game. So mm. I think that's going to be something to watch. And I suppose, yeah, definitely. And Bale pointed out Ben Young's in particular. So there were three points uh, he made uh, the article. And Ben Young's, we need to watch out for uh, Ben Young's uh, quick uh, tap and goes and his kicks. And I suppose Bale would be at the end of those kicks, so maybe that's why he's particularly... Focusing yeah. on that, but that's that that kind of uh, that's something that people kind of forget about England is that they do have a bit of sparking imagination. They're not really yeah. the England the stereotype the typical England we think they are. True, um, true. So I, you, I, I think one of the interesting things as well, uh, just looking at the mismatches between their back lines, uh, looking at what is going to be Johnny May and uh, oh, the names escaping me. But there are other. Um, yeah. But this is, we're recording this on Thursday night, morning Irish time. I don't think any of these teams are announced. Like, I don't know if Beale will even be in the team. I know uh, he's got no. Oh, like, so, the, I think so, the teams so, have just come out. Oh, I think have the teams have just come out uh, well, overnight. So, you're, you're, you're um, you've got. Yeah. <laughs> no, so the interesting thing is uh, James O'Connor has been dropped by Australia. And um, they have a 19 year old now who's going to be coming into the centre. Uh, he's played in two games of the dual games so far. So. Uh, It'll be interesting to see. Of course, the second still hasn't settled on his side, and he's still... So basically, it's not England he's trying to freak out and confuse. It's the guys in the next stage he's trying to freak yeah. out and confuse. <laughs> Which will be either well, I mean, Ireland or New Zealand. But in the, in the Wales game, um, in the Australia-Wales game, uh, when Bernard Foley started... Uh, <laughs> when Bernard Foley started for uh, Australia in the Australia-Wales game, uh, I was getting... A, ton of uh, Australian mates of mine just abusing Bernard Foley saying they'll never play for them again so 
Uh, I, I don't think he's starting on uh, in the quarterfinal, but uh, it'll be interesting to see kind of how kind of the, the team that does get sent out there and seeing how they'll adopt. But looking at the looking at the wingers, uh, I, I think that will be a potential mismatch that Australia could want to exploit. So um, maybe having those uh, a bit more kicking could could somewhat suit uh, the Australians. Yeah, I mean, obviously, yeah, I mean, obviously, if everybody, if if I'm talking about this mismatch and how they play, I mean, I'm sure Jack and Jones are aware of it. And what you need to do is stir the pot there to talk. <laughs> whoever's going to, yeah. uh, whoever's going to win this is going to play uh, Ireland or New Zealand. Now that gives us a chance to talk about beer. Now you were saying there's a beer problem because I mean, obviously, Irish, some Irish fans are just arriving, like Kerry yeah. fans, they only arrived to the finals, uh, <laughs> are just arriving for the quarterfinals. I just think there might be a health warning, not health warning around the beer, just like a panic warning around the beer. Yeah, a rationing warning. So uh, the interesting thing was there's already been, I think, six instances of bars um, running out of beer. And this isn't a tactic to get the Westerners to go home. This is simply just a tactic of, oh, crap, we have not ordered enough beer. So uh, before the competition started, uh, Heineken are the official beer of the World Cup. And... Um, Basically, all the official bars uh, in Japan uh, who are going to be officially showing the World Cup and everything, they put in their order for how much beer that they're going to need. And uh, Heineken turned around, and if this is either fantastic marketing or a genuine concern, Heineken turned around and said, oh, you're going to need about four to five times as much beer as you've ordered. And, I mean, that probably was on the more conservative side considering how things have gone. And so far, that so, seems to be true. Yeah, okay, so it is true. Yeah. Right, so that's a disaster. So, But surely Absolutely. Japan doesn't run out of beer. There are other pubs you can go to, right? Uh, yeah, but not ones showing the match, unfortunately. So, uh, And even some of the Japan yeah, matches haven't been on terrestrial TV. You won't so. die of thirst. If you put no, in mind, I mean, you won't die of thirst. <laughs> they have other things to drink, so we're fine. But, um, yeah, it, it's just, it was interesting, even at the Ireland-Scotland game, they even ran out of food. So I think the... Japanese fans have been somewhat, um, it's just Japanese bars and kind of catering uh, has been somewhat unprepared for um, kind of how, how much people eat and drink when they're going to watch rugby. So I think that's been an interesting factor to, to take into account. But I think that I think they need to have everything on for the Ireland-New Zealand game. I think they'll be quite yeah. surprised at how much will be eaten and drank at that game. To fill you in on what's been happening here, um, basically we all have to watch this through TV. So this is the RTE are covering the uh, Ireland games, only the Ireland games, and they've got Jamie Heaslip and Eddie O'Sullivan and they and other. Uh, so Jamie Heaslip and Eddie O'Sullivan are kind of politely tearing strips out of each other. So yeah. uh, obviously they never really got on. The other big kind of media thing happening in Ireland is Jamie Heaslip is everywhere, like everywhere. He's on the yeah. radio in shops. He's on all social media. He's on the, he was on the Late Late Show and then on Friday and then he was in for the game first thing a.m. in the morning. He's loving it. He's loving it. He's yeah. got a book to sell as well. Things could exactly. not be going better for Jamie Eastwood. I mean, if only so he even had a it. podcast. That would be the icing on the cake. Yeah, uh, maybe 80% the And then obviously Air is carrying all the other sports and Tommy Ball is just sitting there. I mean, it's 6 a.m. Yeah. Nobody really knows he's not doing anything, uh, but he is yeah. just sitting there. Uh, but it is great that they're covering all the games. I was looking at some of the New Zealand media about this and they're obviously like, oh my God, isn't life so difficult with all these great, great players? Who are we going to have playing centre? Uh, Richie, what's, uh, is it Mo- Moonga? Richie Moonga is going to play Richie Moonga. Yeah. going to be Moonga. Sorry, it's going to be full back. Yada, yada, yada. So, yeah. well, basically what they have been doing. Yep. So Sonny Bill is now on the bench. So that's, that's the interesting factor. So he is... Right, so he's... Okay. 
Okay. Um, so he is playing, though. Yeah, he most likely will come on and they'll try to just run him in the gap between Ringrose and Henshaw. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. They got... Uh, they just tried to stir so much shite. They got... Uh, you know, it was his name, Hugh McKenna, this is Irish journalist, who was once gave out about... He gives out about rugby from time to time. Yes. Uh, and they got... Him. They basically, I don't think he'd said anything or written an article, but they kind of contacted him. This was either the New Zealand Herald or stuff that Coda had said. And they tried to get to say yeah. controversial things. And so he came out with a, you know, oh, well, what's the point of the hacker? Why do people have to listen to you? Why does it get a private place? And it's cultural appropriation. And why are these white people jumping up and down doing the hacker? And, you know, he made an interesting point that the hacker has only become popular since Adidas started sponsoring New Zealand and invested money in it. Now, I went to a rugby school, and I can tell you, no, that's not true. I mean, yeah. the hacker has been a huge deal in rugby for a very, very long time. I do, and like everyone, I do agree that it is a bit weird that we have to watch this, and why is this the cultural heritage of rugby? Yada, yada, yada. So this is what they're throwing in to try to get themselves all excited and worked up. Yeah. They talk a bit about Bundyaki, obviously, because, well, you know, they can. He's injured. No, he's in he got the red card. So, yeah. yeah. He's so he's the they can talk about him. And he's Kiwi. They can talk about how great he is as well. Uh, yeah, how do you think that, they, I mean, they weren't talking about the fact that Joey Carberry was, uh, he's actually a Kiwi as well, but Brit, uh, they weren't talking about that when he kicked the ball, were they? No, no, they had, yes, this was, this is another thing they did, is that when Joey Carberry kicked the ball out at 17-12, the front page headline of the New Zealand Herald, like, today this morning, the front page headline, page headline of the Guardian is like Brexit, you know, something normal. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. yeah. And their front page was, oh, my God, what is Joey Carver doing? <laughs> um, because they couldn't conceive of anybody looking to save and protect their bonus point. Now, in the flow of the game, it was difficult to understand that that's what they were doing as well. You don't, yeah. You're not used to bonus points coming into play uh, in the group stages for Tier 1 Nations. But you yeah. sent me a video message directly after screaming, giving out yards with Joey Carver yeah. Yeah, this monster yeah. player. You, you would never have said that if he was an answer <laughs> player. We were given, it took a while to try to realise he was protecting the ball. The internal wisdom of if Johnny had done it, it would be different. It would be different. Yeah, well, true. I don't want to talk too much about, about uh, the tactics here. It's New Zealand, Ireland. I mean, they got, uh, like, as Driscoll was saying, it's just, you know, it's going to come down. There's a chance. I mean, if we stay uh, close to them, there's a chance it'll come down to the that kind of Stockdale uh, switch play down the yeah. blind side. Uh, yeah. getting Ben Smith out of position running in for that try which I was standing right in front of I don't know if I ever mentioned yeah. that in this podcast. <laughs> uh, it's glorious so it's going to come down to something that small but I yeah. time pressing on do we want to have a quick word about Wales-France yeah so uh, uh, looking at Wales I mean, France, not, France should have been beaten by Argentina Wales are playing quite well so that's my take there's my rugby yeah. analysis for you Wales will win <laughs> But the, I think the benefit of Wales is having Gatland in there for 12 years now, their bag of tricks that they can pull on at any moment is so deep and so broad that I think they're, they're, of all the quarterfinals, I think Wales are actually my favourite to go through because they just, they're so staggeringly, they, they play so far. I agree with they've that. managed to Wales have dips, but they've gone through. Their consistency of scoring and Gatland controlling that scoreboard and making sure it keeps ticking over has been absolutely fantastic throughout the whole group stages. Um, I don't think there's any point uh, at which... I mean, obviously, Uruguay had a good game against them, Fiji had a good game against them, but at the end of the day, once the scoreboard's taken over as quickly as it was, like um, it was the bigger uh, drop goal within 33 seconds, I think, uh, in the Australia game. That I means it just sets the tone for how they're willing to play the game 
uh, going through the whole group stages. But looking at France then, uh, France have they've gone back to more of the streaky France uh, of old, where they, you don't know who's going to show up on any given game. But they've kind of brought it to another degree, where you don't know what France is going to show up on any given play, because they just it's it's uh, yeah. Looking at how they played against Tonga, looking at how they played against Argentina. It's kind Argentina. of linked in with this rise of Toulouse. Like, like last year, Toulouse, we weren't expecting much out of. And Jesus, they're quite good. And yeah. a lot of those players are playing for France. And there is a rise in French rugby, despite all the organisational problems or what have you. Exactly. Uh, France, French rugby is rebounding. At club, club level, it is uh, organically rebounding. I mean, obviously, the French clubs like Toulon or whatever were huge. But they're not relying... The Toulouse isn't relying on these... Uh, very expensive foreign players. So there is a, no. a rise in kind of a indigenous it's a, organic... It's a proper resurgence. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to, yeah. The resurgence was the word I was looking for. It'll have to explode at some point. It doesn't look like it's going to explode now. Um, and I suppose when it's all over, I mean, the next... In the semi-final, who will they be playing? It'll be... Um, on the other side, it'll be Japan or South Africa. So, okay, yeah. Wales won't beat South Africa, but they will beat Japan. So the idea that they could get to the final is still live. Exactly, exactly. And I'd say on their given day, they could potentially front up to South Africa. I mean, if Alman Jones has one of those monumental days that he's yep. quite actually accustomed to having, uh, there is potential. I mean, Jonathan Davies is having a fantastic tournament so far as well. But uh, yeah, I think it's, 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 it's probably just uh, World Cup too early for France. Uh, I think if you have Nalamak coming on, he'll progress continually over the next four years. And obviously, 2023 is in France. So I think this is probably going to be, they're going to end at the quarterfinals this time. But um, I think the next World Cup is potential for them. But, uh, yeah. Here, I want to, before we go, I want to actually, because we've kind of run through the rugby there, we had loads of technical difficulties at the start there, which is why I wasn't like, oh, hi, Dan, how are you? How's your family? (laughs) Did all that, did all that like 20 times before we managed to get, hopefully this is the final version now. And we're almost at the end. But I want to talk about like the atmosphere, like you're going from city to city, so you're mainly meeting Irish fans, isn't it? Yeah, so up until now, we've been following following the Irish team down, so, uh, yeah, started in Yokohama back on the 22nd. Then when I went to, uh, went to Shizuoka, you went then to Kobe and then ended up in Fukuoka. So there has been a good traveling, uh, team kind of going along with, uh, with the Irish boys as they've gone. So it's been good. But now, yeah, but back in Tokyo. There hasn't been that, there hasn't yet been that atmosphere where you're getting drunk with South Africans or getting drunk with Kiwis. Because there haven't been the same place yet, is it? Well, the, the very first night there was a bit of getting drunk with South Africans. Uh, they were drowning their sorrows uh, on the 21st of September. So they were drowning their sorrows after the New Zealand loss. Uh, and then we were just just arrived. So, you know, I had to go for a few beers. So um, there, there has been a little bit of mix over when you're every, it's been in Tokyo. But uh, yeah, now it's going to be, uh, there's still a bit of a split because it's only going to be Japanese, uh, South African, uh, New Zealand and Irish fans in Tokyo. Uh, the other uh, the Australians, sorry, the Australians, English, Welsh, and French are down in Noida, so that's beside Fukuoka. So there is that bit of right. a split. But that, but that's now going to be great. Kind of then, back. So you're going to have, yeah, everything's yeah, going yeah, to send so. there together. Exactly, okay. exactly. And and has everything? I mean, this is a real kind of just uh, travel question in terms of like accommodation, getting around. Everything is smooth as. Is it, nobody will be coming back. Fans will be coming back saying, "Oh, I mean, obviously." Every, Everyone's saying it's organisationally it's a disaster, cancelling games. But in terms of yeah. fans and how they've been treated, everyone's happy, are they? Or I mean, relatively, I think I'm very, very glad that the quarterfinal for Ireland is back in Tokyo. So uh, the other two quarterfinals, uh, so the England, Australia, Wales, and France, they are playing in Oida uh, Prefecture, which is then the very, very south of the island. Uh, and to say the transport is kind of sparse is an understatement. 
the the last quarterfinal that's going to be kicking off there. I think it's a quarter past seven. Um, so you imagine quarter past nine, game will be over. People are going to have a couple of drinks around the stadium, probably head home around half 10, 11. The last train is at 11. So they have to make sure they're on this. So it's, it's a right. accommodation okay. around that area. It's quite in the middle of nowhere. There's a bit of that going on with both stadiums okay. around Japan. So from that perspective, uh, Irish fans that were over for the game in Shizuoka against Japan will be well aware that uh, it's, they have a lot of stadiums kind of in the sticks. So uh, being back in Tokyo is definitely the way to go. Uh, the Tokyo Stadium and uh, International Yokohama Stadium being kind of the main stadiums for the rest of the tournament. So luckily, luckily. Okay. So, so this weekend you're going to be able to you're going to either be consoling Kiwi fans or consoling fellow Irish fans or yeah. on the other side who else is with you you're saying South Africans and Japanese are South Africans and Japanese are they? yeah so I mean yeah, the, the Japanese will be a little I mean, bit sad if Japan don't get through very but... very drunk if they do that <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> but uh, no it's, it should be a good good weekend here in Tokyo um, hopefully the weather picks okay. up a little bit but I mean I think it might bode well for Ireland given the weather that it is at the moment so yeah, well, I mean, we didn't want this to be too contextualised in time. We didn't want to focus too much uh, on specifically what the result might be in the quarterfinals. We tried to link it in to, well, how things have been going. But we will finish. I mean, hopefully people will still be listening to this podcast next week when the results are in. So maybe yeah. we shouldn't do this prediction, should we? Uh, well, no, no, let's do it. Let's do it. I mean, I've enjoyed yeah. being very wrong about teams in the past, so. Yeah, I mean, you, you did. Argentina was your team to watch. And I did in the in the course of this podcast put a little defense of you in there with the Picamo uh, offside yeah, intercept yeah. maybe Argentina should still be at the races here so I say uh, I think I think you'll probably agree I say Wales South Africa New Zealand England uh, uh, well yeah I mean I'm going to go Ireland over New Zealand I think that I think this is of all the previous World Cups Ireland have generally been a spent force by the time they get to the quarterfinals I think we've seen we had our high in the Scotland game, our dip in the Japan game, and I mean Russia wasn't fantastic, but I think we played very yeah. well against Samoa. This, this, this is the Johnny Saxon Kool Aid, yeah, 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 yeah exactly. exactly. Usually our Did I say I met him yesterday, by the way. Guys. <laughs> <laughs> he said he's got a bump on his head. Yeah, okay. Yeah, oh, no, 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 <laughs> no. New Zealand fans listen to this. You need to know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, and is there any other one you disagree with there? Um, Do you think Japan South Africa? I think there's a possibility. I mean, but my money's still really on South Africa. The, cool, the local Kool-Aid and excitement. <laughs> no, I still think I think South Africa are going to be a bit too much. Uh, and that the fact that they have Kobe back as well, he's going to be able to run in a couple of tries that Japan won't be able to stop. Now, if South Africa take the foot off the gas, I think Japan can give them a bit of a scare. But overall, I think South Africa is going to outclass them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think it's about how much energy they need to expend to get them to the final. And this is... The problem as well, that game management of how much you need to spend to beat Japan. But listen, yeah. uh, we got to wrap it up. Uh, yeah. I, we will talk to you soon. Best of luck. Enjoy the games of quarterfinal. Enjoy the games of quarterfinal, everyone, no matter where you're from. Well, exactly. Well, exactly. It's going to be some good rugby. Well, it's going to be some good rugby. Grass. Well, I mean, if there was a team you'd like not to go through, <laughs> well, we won't linger on that. Let's end. end <laughs> <on the> positive. <laughs> Here, talk to you soon, Dan. Okay. Talk to everyone soon. Bye. John Barkley comes up to receive the trophy. This, for the Scarlet's fans, is simply great to watch.
They were outplayed in the first half by a Fugis side that picked and win. The 1872 Cup back in Edinburgh hands. They've beaten Glasgow. The first team in 17 attempts to come to Dublin and get a win. How good is that for you? Oh, it's great. All I'm getting at the moment, our players shouting, knock on, offside, tackle out the ball. We're in the wrong sport for that. The Zeebo special gets it wide to Earls. And Earls from here means only one thing. The best stadium I've ever played in, the best atmosphere, the, the best supporters. Hopefully one day I'll be back. Should of course apologise to any Munster fans listening. Uh, they'll have something to say about whether Leinster are going to be in the final as the Scarlets come again. Oh, brilliant offload. It's Brady with a stroll in under the sticks. Oh, look, it's, it's been a roller coaster um, here all my life. 47-10. Jesus. I thought I was in Dreamland when we won the Pro 12. Phenomenal, phenomenal.